everyone and welcome to the August edition of Black Nouveau. I'm Earl Arms. This month we're celebrating black theater. Later in the program we'll have an interview with veteran actor Glenn Turman who began his career in the original production of Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun. But most of our program is dedicated to Black Arts MKE which kicks off its annual Black Theater Festival this week. I'll be joined by festival directors who will tell us what attendees can look forward to during the three weeks of the festival. But first, this year, the festival will feature a poetry set with two artists. One is Cedric Dale Horde, who you may remember from last year's production of Black Nativity. With a little help from our friends over at Rhythm Cafe, Alexandria Mack offers a preview of what you can expect. My name is Cedric Dale Horde. I am a spoken word artist, um, as well as a therapist, licensed professional counselor. Uh, born and raised in Milwaukee, uh, still live in Milwaukee. In my poetry style, I, I, I like to take the, the audience on a roller coaster, I would say. Um, so if you think of a roller coaster, how it kind of has this slow kind of build up. As soon as it gets to the top, it's like this big kind of rush and you don't know what's gonna come at you, twists and turns. Um, I, I really like to, to have that rhythm in my poetry, um, just because I think it, it keeps the audience engaged. Um, and I think it's just a creative way of, of being able to communicate a message. The poem I'm gonna share with you all today is a poem entitled Dear Poetry. Dear Poetry, our relationship has been sort of a love-hate thing. It's been a seesaw of liberation and rejection a tennis match between peace and resentment, a tug of war between the sweet sound of God's assurance and the never ending quest of earning others acceptance. See, happy were those days when I would write poetry and not be concerned about who would know me. Those days when I would write beautifully written eulogies to my past, when ingenuity and fluency gracefully danced without scrutiny of anyone watching, when my rhetoric truly reflected my passion for Christ because my private journals wouldn't be recognized in public spotlights when a platform was merely something to stand on before it became an object of elevation. The year was 2014. Days after one of my poems went viral, a fellow poet told me, Cedric, your writing doesn't deserve its views. I felt like the little kid getting kicked off the basketball court. Their words teleported to my heart like manipulated telephone gossip, whispering to my self-esteem that I didn't belong. It was then when my authenticity was auctioned for their applause. It was then when poetry transformed from being a lifeline to now a blueprint on how to gain approval. I attached myself to narratives, concluding that I wasn't enough. See, how many of us have paid mortgages to live in boxes constructed by insecure people? 
How many times have you allowed the expectations of others to sign leases in your heart only for your authenticity to vacate the premises people-pleasing? Perverts perceptions of purpose, pursuits of popularity, pickpockets, peace, rejections, reality restricts resilience, crazy how criticism clouds clarity so we can't comprehend our calling for too long. I fought too hard to be carved on people's Mount Rushmore's when my God is the one that can move mountains so artist, creative. This is a reminder that the moment your trembling hands dared to touch a pen was evidence that you were worth listening to. And the moment your breath mustered the courage to crescendo from a mic was evidence that your story was worth telling. And the moment they heard you is when they saw hope as their mirror that said they could make it too. See, your gift is not a mask. It is a lens to help others see. Even if some fail to see you, how many of us have fallen deaf to the sound of God's promises only to press play to the soundtracks of people's opinions. See, I finally learned. I finally learned to pawn off the broken records of their assessments, making peace with the sound of my instrument for too long. I've waited for people with bigger names to say that I belong at the one whose name is above every name, birth belonging in my lungs the day that he found me. And these lungs have finally made friends with its creator. See, poetry, our relationship, has been sort of a love-hate thing. Yet I'm starting to think, I'm beginning to remember what love felt like. With me being a therapist, um, I like to try to get to the core of maybe deeper things that people don't usually talk about. And I think with poetry, it's more digestible for the listener. It's more digestible for those to, you know, talk about things related to mental health, emotional health, addiction, you name it. Some of these taboo subjects, I think, really propels me um, to, to do the art form and to write in the way that I write. Um, I always say that when I'm writing, I, I have this person in mind, whether that's one of my clients, whether it's this you know, person I'm trying to reach, whether it's a person that I'm trying to reach just in this conversation, usually have this person in mind that I'm speaking to directly when I write. Dear Poetry, um, it's really near and dear to my heart. Um, you'll hear in the poem, but there was actually a time in my life where I wanted to stop poetry completely. Um, just dealing with a lot of the, I guess, politics behind it. And um, I think as an artist, you can sometimes fall in this wanting to gain approval from different people and different platforms. And my love for the art really began to to kind of die off, if I'm honest. But this poem is really just a, a kind of a love letter, so to speak, to poetry and me finally getting back to really what's important. I want the audience to feel hope. Um, if I could say it plain and simple as that. Um, hope is this ability to, that, this ability to see the light even in the midst of darkness. It's to say that, hey, my circumstances are difficult. My circumstance may not be able to change in this one moment. But hearing this piece today, it gave me a little bit of hope. It allowed me to see the light in the midst of my dark situation. So if I'm able to do that, the audience is able to leave with a glimpse of hope, a glimpse of perspective, and I feel like I've done my job as an artist.
That was a clip from last year's production of Black Nativity, the annual Christmas musical produced by Black Arts MKE. And now joining us to talk about the festival and what it has to offer are Kendall Johnson, one of the Black Arts MKE Festival directors, and Marty Goble, who's directing Mud Row for the festival. Thank you so much for joining us, both of you. Thank you for Thanks having you. us. All right, so we got a few things going on, right? Number of events. We got two plays, right? Mud Row and The Meeting. Also a portrait set by Cedric Dale Horde and Jasmine Sims, an event at the Wisconsin Black Historical Society, right? Auditions for this year's production of Black Nativity, yeah. right? And some sessions for aspiring performers. But let's start off with the plays. We'll start off with you, Marty. Uh, talk about the play you're directing with Mud Row. Who's in it? Where's it being staged? Any details we need to know? Yeah, it's uh, Dominique Morisot is one of our leading African-American playwrights. She has honed and is offering up the community a pitch-perfect um, uh, offering of what our, our what we sound like, what we look like when we're dealing with each other. And this particular play is about uh, two generations of sisters and how we deal with generational trauma, gentrification, race issues issues within the race or intra-racism, also addiction, and, and simply family, which is just wonderful. Have some rock star uh, cast members, Marcus Causey, uh, Milena Moore, Ibrahim Farmer, uh, we, and, and at all. We have just so many wonders. Some of the, some of the top um, black talent in Milwaukee are, are in this production, and I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it. Sounds yeah. wonderful, right? <laughs> so, all right, we'll go to you, Kendall, now. So, talk about the meeting. Same thing. Who are in the Who's in the play? Uh, where's it being so, staged? All that good stuff. Uh, the meeting is directed by Denzel Taylor. Um, it'll be at the table. Um, it is a uh, venue that is kind of offbeat. It's in the middle of our city. Um, the point of this play is to talk about uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, two pillars in our in our community, in our culture, people who have led us in a direction. Some people see it, see it as a split, but this story is supposed to bring it together to make it one big story. Um, yeah, it's gonna be really, really interesting to see it and not um, see them as gods almost mm. and see them as people so yeah I'm really excited about that play and then uh, a couple other events we have the, yeah. the poetry set right so yeah. uh, talk about that so the poetry set is something very relaxed um, everything in the festival is is there's ups and downs there's like family events there are plays there are conversations the poetry set that is like a place for the young black hipster, I wanna say, <laughs> uh, the very relaxed person, yeah. Uh, if you wanna just come and get a drink, you wanna just come and mingle and like hear about the city and not feel pressured to be a part of theater. I know that this um, festival is supposed to open doors. It's, we're trying to open doors to people outside of the theater community because the big thing about black people in theater is that they don't feel welcomed and that is one event that everyone is should feel welcome to to come. Um, it's yeah, it's very chill, very relaxed, no pressure. It's going to be at the North Avenue Market. Um, we're really excited about that that partnership. Um, yeah. And you mentioned family, so we yeah. talked about the friends and family event yeah. too. So talk about that as well. So we have Youth and Family Night. Um, that'll be at the Indabe uh, Bandshell on North Avenue. Uh, it'll be open to all ages. So it's supposed to be like our kickoff. It's on November 9th. Uh, people for all ages, there'll be a food, there'll be activities, there'll be literally performances from kids. Mm -hmm. It'll be just something like an overview of what Milwaukee uh, creatives are doing just to bring in the festival. 
Okay. So, Marty, let's go to you now. So, there's some activities for some aspiring performers. Talk about that as well. Yeah, I'm very interested in supporting the emerging artists, um, particularly the artists of color, and helping them uh, get their resumes together, have some really nice audition pieces, and to really help them and aid them in understanding the protocol of theater. I don't doubt the talent we have in this city, but how do you operate as it gets bigger and higher up the chain? And I want to give them the tools to be able to do that. So, we'll be working that day um, on all of those uh, little crunchy bits of theater production, as well as offering a means to get some headshots and really step into the professional arena with confidence. Uh, so, yeah. Those headshots are always important, right? It is important. <laughs> For sure. So uh, before we wrap up, uh, let me go back and talk about uh, Mud Row again. Talk about where that's going to be again. Yeah, we're doing a partnership with Marquette University. So we're going to be at the Hale Fair Theater on the Marquette campus. And uh, they are supporting us in a lot of ways. And we're using their stage, a lot of their crew, and then bringing in some artists that come in so that we can be in the university have great parking, <laughs> a lovely theater space, and we're very we're we're thrilled to to be involved in this collaboration. All right, anything else uh, we need to know or uh, talk about? Um, I would say just don't be afraid. I know this is a lot of information. It's a lot of things happening, and as a young creative in Milwaukee, it can be intimidating to say theater. Come in, we're welcoming you, even if you don't have a background in theater. Just come and check things out. I'd like to get through to the washroom. Let the lady pass. Hey, Mama, go walk someplace else. Why don't you gamble someplace else? Because we're gambling here, sweet thing. This is a restaurant, not an alley. Hey, hey, keep on stepping, baby. We want it to be preached till we go to church. Y'all need to go to church. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. <laughs> That's a scene from Milwaukee filmmaker Michael Schultz's Cooley High, the 1975 film that became one of the change agents in American and black cinema. For me, who was then a product of Sandtown in Baltimore's West Side, it was one of the first times I saw someone like me accurately portrayed on screen. And that actor joins us now, Mr. Glenn Turman, who's also added producer, director, and writer to his, to his credit since then. He's going to talk about Cooley High and The Legend of, of Glenn Turman, which is his new project. Welcome to Black Nouveau. Hey, Everett, how are you? Long time no see. <laughs> How about that? We did beat earlier in life. Uh, you know, when you were making Cooley High, were you aware of the potential the film held? Not at all, Everett. We had no idea it would become an icon. Well, it did more than that. I mean, for, for my generation, you, you portrayed something we hadn't seen on screen for a while. That was very important to a lot of people, not just like me, but, uh, you know, a lot of folks. Well, you know, it's... Uh... It, it gave us a vehicle in which, and when I say us, I mean we as a black people, it gave us a vehicle in which we could be proud to share with the rest of the world in telling our narrative uh, in a way that had not been delved into before. And so it, it, it made it stand apart for that reason, I think. That's true. You know, and a number of the next generation of filmmakers after Cooley High 
talked about how important that film was to them in, in making those decisions. Uh, one of my favorite memories from that film, though, is Walter Benton's poem, where I picked uh-huh. alien or God, I would make you exactly as you are in all dimensions. That was yeah. really very powerful and potent stuff and spoke to a side of us that a lot of people hadn't seen before. Absolutely. That's the, the genius of Eric Monty. And that's who he was and is, uh, a poet, uh, educated man, an aware man. And uh, you hadn't seen that that side of us in a motion picture ever before, and especially in a love story, you know, which has stood the test of time. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the film was not the first time that you worked with Michael Schultz. He had also directed you in a stage play before then? Correct. We had done a a stage play uh, at Lincoln Center, uh, a Ron Milner play called What the Wine Cellars Buy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had worked together from that point and and then collaborated uh, collaborated again uh, with Cooley High. Uh, the legend of Glenn Turman, do you talk about your, your start as a stage actor, actually going back to the original production of A Raisin in the Sun? I do, I do. I give an, a back, uh, an insight as to how that occurred, uh, how uh, fate or kismet or whatever you want to call it just made that happen, uh, how uh, uh, my mother uh, was a single mom, Moved she and I from Harlem, New York, down to the West Village in the late 50s. And some of her friends became uh, uh, some of the, the greats of all time who were in the village at that time, from James Baldwin and Odetta and Charlie Bird Parker to Lorraine Hansberry who was a neighbor and a dear friend of my mother's who lived around the corner and informed my mother that she had written a play and that there was a part for a little boy in it and would I be interested in trying out for this part? I didn't know that when trying out, there would be other other young boys there trying for the same role because I had never auditioned for anything before. So I went to, to the meeting thinking that the part was mine and had no idea what those other kids were sitting in the hall waiting for, you know, because it was my part, they might as well go home. (laughs) But that started me on my career in acting. And you've done a number of plays. Some of them actually translated into films. I mean, you were in the film version of Five on the Black Hand Side and The River Niger. You even did ceremonies in Dark Old Men for television. Yeah, yeah. or you've done your homework, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, unfortunate and in, in, in to be a part of some of those um, wonderful, wonderful productions. That was a very creative time in the community, though. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. Talk about yeah. that a little bit and, and relate that to, the, to your, your documentary. Well, we were in the middle of a revolution, you know. We were really in the middle of a, of a, a revolution on many fronts. And uh, so some of the warriors of that revolution on our part were extremely aware uh, authors, writers, you know, uh, who came up with all kinds of stories that uh, reflected what our struggles were about. And I just happened to be of an age and a part of that time in which uh, 
I was able to uh, land a lot of the parts in those those plays that spoke of this. So uh, I actually speak of my being a part of a revolutionary uh, renaissance in American history and our weapons were our words and our performances in plays that depicted what the, the, the times were about, you know? And, and you did a number of television specials, uh, Minstrel Man, for example, with, yes. um, and Thornwell, which you did with yes. a friend of mine, Howard Rollins, which yes. was a really yes. harrowing story. Two of those, two, I talk about that play, that motion picture, especially um, Minstrel Man in the, in the, in the documentary and how revolutionary it was. You know, it was, it was, it was actually banned, you know. Uh, it had a one airing and I think then it was, it was banned. And I don't think, I think you can see it now on YouTube, a production of it now on YouTube, but it never aired again uh, because of its daring stance, you know, and uh, daring portrayal. And, uh, but I talk about that in the documentary and uh, what it what it meant as far as I was concerned at that time. Of course, Howard, Howard was a dear friend of mine as well, wonderful actor, and uh, the Thornwell piece, I don't go into so much in the documentary about Thornwell, but that was a, uh, that was a piece that was aired on uh, 60 Minutes as a news uh, um, uh, project that depicting the life of this man, uh, uh, James Thornwell, you know. So yeah, it was it was quite a time, and I was fortunate to be a part of all of that. Mm -hmm. I remember you dancing with Debbie Allen on an episode of Fame. Is that what led to you getting the role of Colonel Taylor on A Different World? Well, I don't know if it directly led to that, but yes, she and I were, became dear friends as a result of that uh, experience. We, we were actually neighbors at a time uh, in Hollywood, and uh, and uh, you know uh, we had a great time doing Fame. I actually went to the High School of Performing Arts. Fame is what uh, that uh, that show was all about. Our high school, you know, and I again, once again, the, the documentary goes into that and what Debbie's part was uh, in making uh, a different world and fame and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it, 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 it lent, a, lent a, a, a wonderful hand to that. I'll just talk a little bit about Colonel Taylor and how important that role was for another generation of people to see that character, that older gentleman molding young minds. That was really very powerful on a different world. That was in tribute to my Uncle Jim, who was the father figure in my life, my my aunt's husband, my, my mother's sister's husband. Uh, James Robinson, who had been in World War II and who had uh, been a part of the Cannonball Express, the Red Ball, oh, the wow. Red Ball Express. Yeah. And uh, you you probably know, Eric, that the Red Ball Express was uh, instrumental in keeping uh, Patton, General Patton mm -hmm. and his tank brigades um, moving because they supplied them with uh, gasoline to keep the, the tanks going. Uh, one of his favorite sayings, man, we were in the war, we were flying around with 
going through hell with gasoline drawers on, you know. <laughs> so tell us now what's going to happen with, with the new documentary. How are we going to be able to see it and when? Well, we'll be able to see it. Uh, um, it's Earlier, you can get pre-order it now where it's streaming on different streaming uh, venues and or you can buy the Blu-ray and uh, or DVD if indeed you want to have it as a collection of yours personally and uh, also to, uh, I would suggest that it might be a, a vehicle for acting classes and, and uh, schools to have uh, that have an arts department this might lend uh, uh, some value to that pro that pro arts programs so it's out now and it airs uh, on streaming well thank you very much is there anything i haven't asked you that you wanted to talk about no man you, you we, we just can't let it be uh, another 30 years before we hook up again together okay okay, okay. absolutely <laughs> take care thank you very much for joining us thank you everett Sixty years ago, this month, over 200,000 American citizens marched in Washington, D.C. to demand that the federal government do its part to guarantee every American access to freedom, equal opportunity, jobs, education, fair housing, and the right to vote. It became a watershed moment in American history. Two weeks from tonight, on August 24th, we'll look back at the Great March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in two half-hour programs that will air from 7 to 8 p.m. here on Channel 10. At 7 p.m., we'll repeat our award-winning documentary for Jobs and Freedom, a Black Nouveau special, which we first aired in 2013. Immediately following that, stay tuned for the March at 60, a Black Nouveau special, which looks at some of the challenges African-Americans still face 60 years later. We hope you'll join us. And don't forget to check us out on social media at milwaukeepbs.org. For Black Nouveau, I'm Earl Arms. Have a great evening.